Good morning, church. So good to see you today. What a blessing it is on Resurrection Sunday morning to be able to worship the King. Uh, Even though we're not physically together, we are together in spirit. And this morning, um, every year annually, we do an Easter sunrise service. And though this is not sunrise uh, for us, it is still outside, kind of in the raw, uh, being able to experience God's goodness and His greatness out here uh, on a pier. So, I wanted to be able to share with you God's Word this morning. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. If you want to go ahead and turn there with me, and as you're doing that, we're going to go ahead and look at our New City Catechism for today. We're on week 15, and for some of you wondering what's the New City Catechism and you're checking in today, uh, that is what we use to help our body of believers to be able to better understand God's Word, to hide it in their hearts so that we might not sin against God, and to raise our children, uh, the next generation, knowing God's Word. Every single one of these catechisms is tied to scriptural truth. And so the This morning, what we're looking at is week 15. It says this is the question. Since no one can keep the law, what is its purpose? The answer, that we may know the holy nature and will of God and the sinful nature and disobedience of our hearts and thus our need of a Savior. The law also teaches and exhorts us to live a life worthy of our Savior. I get so excited about days like today. Because once a year specifically, we're reminded of what not only Jesus did on Good Friday, dying for our sins on the cross, but also that that was not the end of the story. Hallelujah. The end of the story, it's only the beginning for he rose from the dead on the third day. And that is why we worship on Sundays. Every single Sunday when you go to church and you worship as a family, you are proclaiming the death of the Lord, the coming back of the Lord. You're proclaiming the goodness of God and what he has done. When we look at the text this morning in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, it's only two texts. And I've been promising this for months now to our church that we're going to be going through these two texts. We see something really, really powerful. One, we see that we are citizens of heaven. And therefore, what does that mean for us? And what are the implications when we're living here and now? And what are the implications for the future? But we also see that our lowly bodies now are going to be transformed to be like Christ's glorious body. And therefore, we have hope. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. So Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21 is where we're going to be at this morning. It says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. And that is the word of the Lord this morning. When we look at this passage, I need to give us just a little bit of context behind it. Uh, Paul is going through the four chapters to the Philippians, the letter to the Philippians. He's going through and reminding them that they are a Roman colony. And because they're a Roman colony, they have privileges that many of the other cities within the Roman province, they don't have. And they have rights and they have access and they have power that other cities, unlike themselves in many cases, that they don't have. But what Paul is playing off of and reminding them is this, that they are a colony, that they are citizenship of heaven. Even though they live in Philippi, they are still, most important, followers of Jesus Christ and therefore citizens of heaven. In the case of Caesar, 
At many times, even dating back to 4 BC, Caesar was called Savior. That was a title that was used for uh, Augustus. And in this case, you're going to notice throughout the letter of Philippians, if you're reading it, you're going to be able to see that he calls Jesus Savior and Lord on multiple occasions. And he's specifically doing that to remind them Caesar is not Lord. And Caesar is not Savior. It is Jesus. And he declares this to be specifically true because Jesus not only died, but he rose from the dead and no one's ever done that before. And so a quote by N.T. Wright says it this way, the resurrection and exaltation of Jesus proclaims and installs him as the world's true Lord and Savior. In other words, according to Paul's gospel, it is because of the resurrection that Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. The future resurrection and glorification of Jesus' followers will vindicate them as the true people of the one true God. Despite their present suffering and humiliation and the herald, the victory of the gospel over the powers of the world that through the final act of new creation, according to N.T. Wright. And I think that's a powerful way to look at it. Jesus's death on the cross was the death that was died on our behalf to pay for our sins. But on the third day, he defeated death. He conquered death. He rose from the dead, not just to be resuscitated, but resurrected to new life. And the new creation had come. And it says he's the first fruits of what is going to come in the harvest that is going to be. So if you're joining us this morning, whether it's on your app or it's on the website or on Facebook Live, we're going to be taking the first point down today. And this is number one. We are citizens of heaven. Never forget that fact. Never forget that we are citizens of heaven first and foremost. You may be a United States citizen, but before you're a United States citizen, you're a citizen of heaven. You're a child of God. And as a citizen of the United States, what does that mean? Well, it means that I can vote. It means that I have rights. It means that I have privileges that other people coming into our country as, as foreigners don't have. And so as a citizen of heaven, we've got to remind ourselves that this is not our forever home. It allows us to be more generous than people who otherwise think that this is all there is to it, that this is the end of the story. And for us, it's not even truly yet the beginning. We are waiting for the day when our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, returns. As citizens of heaven, we have certain rights and responsibilities. Our calling, for one, is from God. It's not from man. Even beyond that, our way of life is set by God and not by the culture that is surrounding us. Our future hope is set on Christ and not on power or sex or money and not on the normal things that most people fall into. That's not our sense of hope. Our allegiance is to the kingdom of God. Our home is a new heaven and a new earth where the new Jerusalem will dwell. Look again at verse 19. Our citizenship is in heaven and from, we, from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know about y'all, but I'm getting antsy with all this quarantine stuff that we're doing. Um, I, I cannot wait to get out and about to be with the people specifically of God. I mean, I know some people are telling me that they can't take it any longer. They are ready for sports to get back in order. They're ready to be able to either watch it or to be able to watch their children play or to play it themselves, that they're going crazy. And I want to tell you, my personal is I just want to be with the people of God. Like I, I'm enjoying Zoom and we're a small group still going and that's awesome, but I miss getting to see everyone. I miss getting to shake hands and give hugs and to just encourage one another just by seeing each other. You know, 
if we're longing to get out of our houses and we're longing to be able to do things like we used to do in some form of normalcy, if we're longing for those, what is it even greater? It says that we await, and it's another way of saying that we eagerly wait for the Lord Jesus Christ. And why do we eagerly await? Why do we do that? Well, I want to tell you something. Why would we not eagerly await to finally meet the one who loves us infinitely? Why would we not be eager to finally meet the one who died for me while I was still an enemy living in my sin and had no power to save myself? Why would I not? And why would you not, as a follower of Jesus Christ, not be super, just thrilled, cannot wait to see him? You see, it says that we, along with the earth, were groaning inside. It's like just waiting in anticipation for the Lord Jesus to come for His people. It says actually in Romans chapter 8, verse 18 and 19, and then in 22 and 23, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He's like, I don't even compare it. And Paul's been through a lot, and maybe you've been through a lot. Maybe you're going through a lot right now. Maybe you're anxious, unlike any other time in your life, wondering what's going to happen. Maybe you lost your job, and maybe you're waiting for an unemployment check to come, and in the month seems like it's going to be far longer than you could have ever possibly imagined, and you just don't seem to be able to put it all together. And I want to say this to you. Paul has been through a lot. I would imagine he's been through a lot more than any of us who are alive today in many cases. He says, I don't compare the present suffering it's not worthy to compare with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. What's he getting at? What's he getting at? How many of y'all are sitting there this morning and saying, Lord Jesus, come. Lord Jesus, if my body's aching, take this pain. Lord Jesus, set me free from this burden. Lord Jesus, I've been going through this for year after year, struggling with this sin or this temptation. Lord Jesus, my marriage is struggling. Lord Jesus, I'm lonely and I want somebody. How many of us are yearning as followers of Jesus in a fallen world to say, make it right? come back. He's not just going to redeem our bodies and transform our bodies, but he's going to transform the entire earth. Listen, God did not send his son to die so that he would abandon our bodies and abandon our earth. He's going to redeem it. He's going to, hear me out, he's going to resurrect it. That makes all the difference in the world as to how we live our lives and the way that we look at the Savior that we have. When Christ returns, the old age will end and the new age will begin. When Jesus resurrected from the grave, the new creation invaded. That was something totally different. The new creation invaded on Easter Sunday, on Resurrection Sunday. And that is why we as a church, we celebrate this day unlike any others. It's not about the lights. It's not about the camera and the action. It's not about any of those things. It's all about the good news of Jesus Christ and those who are being set free by the power of the gospel of Jesus, repenting of sin, believing in faith, and having their lives resurrected even today 
as we wait yet for our bodies to be raised from the dead in power and in glory like his body. Secondly, if you're following along this morning, death has been defeated. Christ is risen. And I want to tell you, that's something to say amen about this morning. Death has been defeated and Christ is risen. When they showed up in Matthew 28 uh, to the tomb, it says that an angel was sitting there at the tomb and he said to the ladies who came there, he says, he is not here for he is risen. Those short words, simple in phrase, yet it was so powerful with eternal consequences for all of creation. He is not here, he is risen. Why? Because he has defeated death. He has defeated death. Death is something, honestly, we all hate. I mean, don't we? How how many of us has it separated us, at least temporarily, from those whom we love? How, How many of us would honestly say that we would give anything for cancer to be done away with? We'd give anything for the pain to be done away with. We'd give anything just to have the ones that we love closest to us that have gone on ahead of us. We'd have anything just for another moment with them. I want to tell you what Jesus did on Resurrection Sunday was the beginning of what was going to be. One day in John 5, it says that he's going to declare with a shout and he's going to call the dead forth and they're going to raise from the grave and they will respond. Those who have done good unto good works and those who have done evil unto evil. Do you understand what's happening here? Jesus is coming with power. Death is something we all hate. We don't have any issue talking about things 200 years ago or 100 years ago that we would never even in a million years when it comes to things sexual, we would never talk about those things in common public, but today it's nothing. Today it's nothing for people to go see horrendous movies and call it normal like watching Fifty Shades of Grey or something insane like that. We think that that's almost like, well, it's not good, but how bad could it be? Yet today we won't even talk about death. We don't call them funerals anymore. We have to call them life celebrations just to soften the blow. I mean, we do things again and again and again just so that we will not have to deal with the idea that death is coming. Most of the world who's not followers of Christ, they have to make up their own theories because no one really knows what's after death except one who has already been, and his name is Jesus. He tells us what is to come after death. He's the first fruits of the resurrection of the dead. And if he's the first fruits, then that means there's a harvest yet to come. For most of the world, they have to make up something to believe, something to their liking, something to comfort themselves with. For most of the world, they have to believe, well, maybe we just disappear. Maybe we just evaporate. Maybe nothing happens. But honestly, there's something nagging inside of the world that they believe that they were created for something more. And there's something inside of every single person that maybe there's something behind it. Maybe there's something after death. Maybe there's someone we have to answer to for the life that we have lived. And that absolutely wrecks people. As a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't have to be wrecked. As a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, our hope is set and it's firm. It's firm in Jesus Christ. We have daily reminders that death is all around us. But as a follower of Jesus, though we hate death and though we know it is unnatural, we do not have to fear it. Though it separates us many times from those whom we love, we know that those who trust in Jesus Christ, according to 1 Thessalonians 4, we shall see them for we have hope unlike the rest of the world. Paul says it this way, Philippians 1, 21 through 23, for to me is live is Christ and to die is gain. 
If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ. Y'all ready for it? For that is far better. What's far better? To be with Jesus. You see, death for us as followers of Christ is a door that opens us up to being into the presence of the Lord. It's not that we want to die, it's that we want to be with Jesus. We want to see Him face to face. We cannot wait to have the joy and the bliss that comes with being in the presence of God. For at Jesus' resurrection, He put death to death. You see, the new creation has invaded. The last enemy, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, to be destroyed is going to be death on the coming of the Lord. And this is why Paul is able to mock death. This is why Paul is able to say some very powerful words, quoting from the Old Testament. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55, he says this, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The worst death can do to us is temporarily separate us from our loved ones. But for those who know Jesus Christ, death is gain because then we are in the presence of the Lord. It says this in Psalms 30 verse 5, Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Are you ready for it? The night is far spent and the day is at hand, which leads me to my third point and leads me just to think about something like this. Our lowly body will be transformed to be like Jesus's glorious body at his coming. So we see right here in verse 21, look again with me in the word. It says, And Christ will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds incredible to me. Our lowly bodies, the body that I have right now, the body that gets sick, the body that gets hurt, the body that forgets things on a regular basis. Can I get an amen this morning? I mean, if you're walking around the house and you're mindlessly wondering and you're only in your mid-30s or 40s and you're like, I have no clue why I walked in here or I have no clue why I drove to this place. uh, You know what I'm saying? Like that happens to us and that lowly body that has aches and pains, especially as it gets older, that lowly body will be transformed to be like Christ's glorious body. And I don't know about you, but that sounds really, really good to me. Our current bodies are subject to death and to decay. But when Christ comes, y'all hear me out, when Christ comes, we will be transformed to be like His glorious body. And look in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse uh, 50 through 52. It says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. 
That sounds almost like something that someone should put in a baby's bedroom, right? Where you're able to say, and you'll all be changed, right? Because they got to be changed. But we are going to be transformed. We are going to be changed. We are going to receive our resurrected body. God is going to make something beautiful out of this lowly body as he resurrects it. So how will this transformation take place? How is that going to happen? Well, it says right there in verse 21. It says that he will transform it by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. What's that power? That's the power of the Spirit of God, the same power that resides in us now, the same power, the Spirit that's been given to us as a guarantee of what is yet to come, a foretaste, a first fruit, as we read in Romans 8. Well, what's his glorious body going to be like? What's Christ's glorious body like? So what's our body going to be like? Well, you remember his time on earth in Matthew 17 as well as in Mark and in Luke on the Mount of Transfiguration when he takes Peter, James, and John, his fab three within the group of 12, and he brings them up and it says in Matthew chapter 17 verse 2, it says he was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. Even in his physical body, The glory and the deity of God could not be withheld and shone forth and they were able to catch a glimpse of it. We see again right here in Revelation chapter 1 verse 12 through 16, the apostle John while he's on the island of Patmos and he's receiving the revelation of what is to come and what is occurring and what's happening and God's plan of redemption. He sees the risen Lord and he sees him. It says in verse 12, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the lampstands one like a son of man clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest the hairs of his head were white were white like white wool like snow his eyes were like flames of fire his feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace his voice was like the roar of many waters in his right hand he held seven stars and with his mouth came out a a two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in full strength now, are you saying that we're going to look like that, Josh? I'm, I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is that even after Jesus was resurrected, before he was yet to be exalted in heavenly places, when they saw him, I want to say that the vision of Jesus that we see in heavenly terms, even the vision on the Mount of Transfiguration, and even when Paul Remember when Paul was on his road to Damascus and it says that Jesus came to him and it says that he shone around him and it was brighter than the noonday sun. And what's brighter than the noonday sun? Well, I I really don't even know how to explain that. When was the last time on a clear day, no clouds blocking, sun in full strength at the middle of the day, no sunglasses, nothing to block it, have you just stared at the sun? It'll burn your eyes. It could even cause you to go blind if you do it long enough. And this is what he's describing, the glorious presence of Jesus Christ, which is again alluding to that we're going to be changed. We're going to be changed. It says that God dwells in unapproachable light. It says that Moses in Exodus chapter 34, when he spent so much time with the Lord on Mount Sinai, that when he came down, that his face shone and the people were scared and they were fearful of it. And he put a veil over his face because the presence of God was so heavy upon him. I want to say this, if you could see the future you as a follower of Jesus Christ, I believe you would be overwhelmed by joy. 
I believe if you could see the future you, you would be overwhelmed by joy. And that again is why Paul in Romans 8, 18 can say, I do not compare the current suffering with the future glory. I don't compare it. It's not even measurable to look at the two in comparison to one another. I want to say this on the other side of things. For those of you who do not know Christ, for those of you who do not seek to follow God, I can only imagine to see your future self and to be so sorrowful, so hurt, so broken. C.S. Lewis said it this way, It's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship or else a horror and a corruption such as you meet now, if at all only a nightmare. There are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, art, civilization, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as like a life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snob, exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendor. You see, Paul gives us some very clear answers about what it looks like in our resurrected bodies in 1 Corinthians 15. He says what's sown perishable is raised imperishable. Which means this body that can die will no longer be able to taste death when it is resurrected. Sown in dishonor, raised in glory. Sown in weakness, raised in power. Sown a natural body and raised a spiritual body. He goes on to say this in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 47. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust, and the second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. And as of the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Here it is right here. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. In every single instance of what we see here, it is this body that will be raised imperishable. This body that is sown in dishonor, this body of humiliation that is lowly shall be raised, this body raised imperishable, incorruptible, and in power and in glory like the body of Jesus Christ. Paint yourself because this is not a dream. This is scripture. This is the word of God that we're speaking right now to you. In every single instance, it's speaking about your physical body right here, right now, that's going to be raised incorruptible for those who are in Christ Jesus. It is like getting the greatest upgrade that you've ever could possibly imagine, and that upgrade happens to be to you, affecting every single aspect of your life, and not just your life, but all of creation, all of the universe. I believe me this, when he uses the analogy about the kernel turning into wheat itself, well, I believe this, in every single acorn, there is a great oak yet to be had. And so I want to say what you may see now, and you're like, well, there's nothing to me, and I'm not interesting, and I'm not great, and I don't have anything going for me. Listen, if you have Christ, you have it all. You have it all. Think of this just for a moment. Just, I'm almost done. Just think of this. No more curse, no pain, no sorrow, no weakness, no sickness, no sickness. Isn't that a strange place to be in right now? How many people are scared staying at home because they're scared of potentially getting infected or getting someone else infected? No sickness, no hunger, no poverty, no injustice, no liars, no decay, no death. 
no sin, no fear, no evil. Let's go on the positive. That's all the negative. In our glorious bodies, in the new heavens, in the new earth, there will only be, and this is just a short list, worship. The best worship that could possibly be imaginable because it's going to be pure and perfect before our Lord. There's going to be joy and there's going to be peace and there's going to be love. There's going to be fellowship. There's going to be laughter. If you've got an idea of heaven that makes you think that you're going to be bored for the rest of eternity, you're not reading the Bible or you have a horrible interpretation of what you're reading. There's going to be adventure. There's going to be learning. There's going to be exploring. There's going to be playing. There's going to be freedom. There's going to be freedom and so much more. This gets me excited. I hope it gets you excited. Uh, and when you read the last book from C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia, it's called The Last Battle. And, and it goes through this, this, this horrible narrative of what's happening all throughout. And then at the very end, they're being brought into the new country, the high country. The old country is the shadow land. It's only a glimpse of what is yet to come. And they're coming into the new country. And he says this, For us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can truly say that they lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been a cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. You see, every single chapter of our lives, we're getting one day closer to being in the presence of the Lord. You can be going through what you would consider the worst chapter of the book of your life right now, and yet you, as Paul said, can have hope because we will be delivered. We will be set free completely. We are all ready for those who have trusted Jesus saved, yet there's that tension between the already but the not yet, the kingdom of God coming, but yet not the full fruition of it. Listen, Jesus kept his word and he will keep his word. You see in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, it says, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. In Christ, we say this, and we believe it to be 100% true. We will live happily ever after. You watch so many of those movies from Disney or as kids, or maybe you read some of the books, and it always says, and they lived happily ever after, but that, that's not our story. That's not our lives here. But the promise of what God has done on Resurrection Sunday is this that we shall truly live happily ever after in the presence of God Almighty. This morning, if you joined us and you don't have that relationship with Jesus, you've joined us and you're saying, oh, I do want to know more, then let us know that. Whether that's in the comments section or whether that's uh, messaging us on the side, let, let us know. We want to connect with you. Just because we can't meet in person at this very moment does not mean that we don't want to reach out does not mean that we don't want to be there for you. Please take this time to let someone know if the Holy Spirit is moving in your life today, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to call upon the name of the Lord that you might be saved. Pray with me. Father, we come before you thanking you for the opportunity to study your word. 
We thank you now for the opportunity of taking of the Lord's Supper together as families, Father, within your church. We know, Lord, that you have given this to us as believers, Father, to continue to commemorate the death of Jesus Christ until his coming once again. Father, we pray that you move powerfully in our midst as we each prepare our hearts and our minds, Father, seeking that you would forgive us of any sin sin that we'd be aware of or even sin that we're unaware of, Father, in our lives, that we would be pure before you as your son Jesus is pure. Father, may this be a time of intimate communion with you. Father, we thank you in advance for the taking of the Lord's Supper. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your uh, bread and the cup ready for taking of the Lord's Supper. This is going to be our time to do that. And this is such a special occasion every time that we take the Lord's Supper. But also, I think this should be something as a reminder for those uh, who are watching for us that we can do this at home. Uh, and I would encourage you as families to to do this. So if you get all your, if you have all your items ready, uh, we're going to partake. We're going to be reading out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. And it says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was to be betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after the supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. If you'd like to, go ahead and grab the bread. And we'll break it, and we'll offer it to our family to be able to take. Wait one second. It's right there. This is the body which is broken for us. This is the body that was broken to make us whole. Let us take and eat. So then he took up the cup, and he says, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is the blood of the new covenant, which is given and poured out for many. Let us take. Let us pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you that as families, we celebrate the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ, that he died for our sins, that he resurrected to new life, and we have new life because of him, because your spirit has come and has reinvigorated us. Father, given us new hope and new life, Father. We thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for Resurrection Sunday and the celebration that we have today. It is in Jesus' mighty name that we pray these things. Amen.